And Father, as we come to your word now, help me to remember what I've prepared. Give us ears and hearts that are open to hear from you. And God, this will be a a transformational time. This won't just be another message, but it will be something that, God, that you will use to impact our hearts, impact our minds, and we will walk out of here different because of what happens in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Be expectant that God's going to do something today. Be expectant that God is going to do something today in your life. I want to start by giving you a bit of a glimpse into the morning of the Green's house. It uh, begins at 7 a.m. With, my, with, with the boys, usually getting out of bed at 7. And, the, and, and they have two hours before they need to go to school. They have from 7, they, they leave just after 9. And they have this routine that they're, that they're supposed to be doing from 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock. And it should take them about one hour. Let me give you the routine. They, they, they need to get dressed, make their bed, tidy their room, eat breakfast. Pretty easy so far. Either empty the dishwasher or vacuum the floor downstairs. Do 20 minutes of piano and then play about 10 minutes of drums. Now, is that too much? No! That's not too much. That's not too much. In the morning, no. Well, discipline, bully. Discipline, organization, structure, setting them up for the future. Now, I reckon, I reckon that... I reckon that if these kids committed to, that, those, to those tasks, and, and they know them, that it will take them about one hour to get that stuff done. One hour out of the two, if they do all those things, one after the other, they've got about a, one hour. And then the second hour, they can spend however they like. I don't care what they do. Play computer games, watch TV, I don't mind. But regularly, it doesn't happen the way we want. The, uh, the uh, kids, surprise, 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 surprise. They, um, might start, they uh, might start out, start out well. They might come down dressed in their school uniform. They might. And they might go to the piano or they might eat their breakfast. But regularly, Michelle or I, usually Michelle saying, boys, have you done? Boys, what's next? Boys, have you done? And the reason we do that is because the boys continue to get distracted. Big word for today. They continue to get distracted from the things they should be doing by other things. Distracted by a conversation, distracted by a computer game, or distracted by a computer game, or distracted by a computer game, or distracted by a a little board game, or a music, or something. Distraction, distraction, distraction. Can anyone relate to this this morning? Now, I'm not talking about children getting ready, I'm talking about distractions. Have you ever been, I'm sure you have, but we all go through life and we get distracted. Maybe you're at work. And you're doing a task and all of a sudden this thought drops in your head and you stay with the thought and it distracts you from what you should be doing. Or you're having a really serious conversation with someone, a DNM, and the, and your phone vibrates because someone's just put something on Facebook. And you go, well, what, 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 I want to concentrate, but I want to, I want to look down at the phone and get distracted. I've, I've shared over a, a number of years how in our first couple of years of marriage when I started leading LifeGate Church, that instead of focusing on my wife, I got distracted by the many, many things I've been doing. Having said that, I did something very romantic, very, very romantic on Friday. Who'd like to hear about it? Men, you should take notes. Men, take notes, right? I organized for Alicia to be looked after, and my mum and dad were the heroes. Thank you, mum and dad. 
looked after Alicia during the day and, get picked up, and picked the boys up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I told Michelle I was going to take her out for lunch. And so I take her out for lunch, and, it's, and, it's time, and, we, and we go down to Wollongong, and we have fish and chips on the little area, Esplanade area, overlooking the water. And then it's time to go, and I said to Michelle, actually, we're not going. I booked a night in a hotel, the Sage Hotel. And we went out for dinner, and it was romantic. And we sat on the beach. It was lovely. And Michelle likes me so much more now. <laughs> Men, write it down. It's an investment, and it's a really good investment into your future. It's really good. You, the benefits to you, man, are really, really good. Go for it. Do that. Now, I haven't done that. I've never done that, actually. Never, ever taken Michelle away in surprise in 13 years of marriage. And I shared that at the beginning of our marriage, instead of investing in the marriage, I got distracted by other things. And I reckon if, if, if you looked at your lives, you see areas where you get distracted from the things that you should be doing. And you know what? Jesus talks about a, a group of people in the parable of the sower in the third soil that start out really, really well. They commit their life to God. They honor God. They, they, they serve him with their all. But then they get distracted. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first soil is the seed that lands in the path that's get eaten by the birds. The second soil is the seed that goes with the rocks and the dirt. And because it only has shallow roots, the sun gets, when the sun comes out, the plant gets scorched. The third soil is where the seed goes down where there's thorns and weeds. And as those plants come up, the thorns and the weeds choke the plants so the plants aren't fruitful. And then Jesus gives us an explanation. Thankfully, there's a picture of the seed going in among the thorns. And then Jesus gives us the explanation of the parable. He says this, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I'm going to read it again. I read it too fast. Follow this along. The seed falling among the thorns or the weeds refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. In Luke 8, this is what he writes about the explanation. They are choked, this is Jesus speaking, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. They start the journey and they do not mature because of the distractions that are in their life. Let's look at the distractions. The first one, the worries of life, the everyday things that are happening, jobs, work, business, home, marriage. We're so focused on that that it distracts us from serving Jesus. The second thing, riches. The desire to get wealth to, so that you feel better about yourself and to get ahead. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And pleasure. Doing things that you like to do when there's nothing wrong with that, but when it gets in the way of putting Jesus first, then it becomes a problem. And so, friends, here are the distractions this morning. I put them in red because it's like a big cross. Here are the distractions this morning. Things, us, things that distract us from living the way that God wants us to live and living fruitful lives. See, the problem with these things 
The problem with the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the, the kids are noisy, aren't they? And the choking of the word, it makes people, I put it in bold, unfruitful. And then in Luke 8, it says they do not mature. The problem with these things is they make you unfruitful and you do not mature. Jesus' desire for your life is fruitfulness. And we see that in the next soil, the fourth soil. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word of God and understands it. This one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times that which was sown. God's desire for you and for me is that we are fruitful and these things hold us back, choke us from being fruitful. Now let me spend a few moments and next time I preach on the parable of the sower, I'm going to look at what it means to be fruitful in more detail. But let me give you really briefly what it means to be fruitful because we have to understand that to see how this is a problem. Let me give you a um, a definition of fruitfulness. For fruitfulness is really fulfilling the purpose Jesus has for your life. You're fruitful if you're fulfilling his purpose. And I've broken those three, three things down in the first one is this, you and God. And when I write you and God, I'm talking about that when you become a Christian, that God wants a wonderful relationship with you, where Christ, as we sang, is the center of our lives, where it's personal and deep and connected and a wonderful relationship with you and God. And if you have a wonderful relationship with you and God, friends, that is part of having a fruitful life. The second thing is this, is about personal transformation. God's desire from Romans 8, it says, that his desire for you is that you, that you are conformed conformed into the image of his son. That you are transformed to become like Jesus. That you are conformed to be like Jesus. That, that our God does a change in you. And we see that in the fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit of God does his work in our lives, the, the outworking is love. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit of God working in your life. And the third one's this, being an influence to others. If you want to, be a, want to live a fruitful life, you've got to influence others, your children, the people you get to contact in the workplace, in the school, in the sporting club, whatever sphere that you're in, if you want to have a fruitful life, part of that is to influence them. Influence them to Jesus. Share the message of Jesus with them. Live a life where they go, wow, what have you got? I want some of that. Speak life. Speak encouragement over people. Set them up for huge success. You want to see a fruitful life? You and God. Personal transformation. And influencing others. These three things that Jesus desires. But when these things get in the way... These things prevent us from doing these things. We spend our focus, we put our attention, we put our energy, and as a result, we don't do these things. The fruit, the things that Jesus wants for our lives. Now before I go any further, I want to say this, that there's nothing wrong with the worries of life meaning that there's nothing wrong with thinking about your marriage and your children and your business. Actually, it's good to think about that. It's good to plan that. It's good to have goals for that. It's good to think about how am I going to pay the bills. And, and it's good to think about 
the, uh, the, your education and your job. These are all the worries of life. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't dominate, doesn't become the main thing, but honouring Jesus, personal transformation and influencing others becomes, is the main thing. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with riches either. There's nothing wrong with finance. As long as it doesn't become the most important thing in your life, that distracts you from these things. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. We're going to talk about these things in a moment. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life as long as it doesn't get in the way of these things. So let's look at each one of these things specifically. Number one, distraction number one, the worries of life. Now, friends, as we uh, go through life, there are so many things that, that uh, grab our attention. Marriage, our marriage relationship, our children, bills, housing. What does fulfillment look like? When someone gets sick, relationship, relationship bust up. We even ask questions of life. We ask these questions. Do I have enough for my retirement? How do I respond to those who have hurt me so much? What do I do about my failures? Why, why aren't I a better person? Why am I so disappointed in myself and in others? Am I making a difference? These things around the worries of life, we, we are thinking about these things. And as I said before, there's nothing wrong with thinking about these things as long as they don't take all your attention that they don't become the number one thing that you, that you are focusing on in life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, you don't need to worry about the food or the clothes because God has, God has got it all sorted. He has, he does. But then Jesus says this, he says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, if you seek first your relationship with God, personal transformation, influence in others, if you, if you seek first the, the uh, fruitfulness that God desires from your life, well, then the whole worries of life thing will be sorted. If you're loving God, serving God, honoring God, we, we, you will do that in your marriage. You will do that with your kids. But it's about seeking Him first. In his kingdom and his righteousness. Not these things. Your marriage isn't first. Your children are not first. Your finance is not first. Your business is not first. Your fulfillment is not first. Honoring Jesus, that is first. The second distraction, which, is, which I'm going to talk more about, is the distraction of riches. Now, I need someone to give me a hand here. I need, I need, a, I need some money. Who's got a note that they're happy to lend me for a second? And the bigger, the better. Who's got a note we can use here? Mel's got nothing. Anyone? TK, you've got 100, no doubt. You're a bit of a 100 man. Whoa, 50. Is that, is that Australian money? What sort of money is this? This is no good. This is 50 euro. That's actually worth more than a... How much is that worth, 50 euro? 75 Australian dollars. That's pretty good. How would you describe, how would you describe this? Rectangular, good. What color? Like an orangey brown. There's some pictures of some buildings on there. It's got a 50 on there. Is this good or bad? What did you say, Dave? 
Neither. This isn't good or bad. This is simply currency that we use to go about, go about life. Is being rich bad? Is being poor bad? I reckon in the church... Thanks, Vicky. I reckon... I'm, I'm uh, going to the UK in a few months. I might see how we go with that. I reckon there's this perception in the church, in the Christian church, that being rich is bad. We celebrate missionaries, and generally missionaries don't have a lot of money. We celebrate the missionaries. And we see the monks and the priests who give up all their stuff, and we go, oh, you must be a, you must be a godly person. And, and there's nothing wrong with clapping and celebrating those people. But if you have a mindset this morning that being rich is bad, I want to break that this morning. Because I want to show you what the scripture says. You know what it says in Proverbs chapter 10? The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Boom. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And in 1 Timothy, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their wealth, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, he doesn't say there, command those who are rich to give away all their money so that they are poor. No. He commands those who are rich, don't put your hope in your wealth, but rather put your hope in God, who actually gave you the money in the first place. He goes on, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Actually, if you're rich, and we live in Australia, so in lots of ways we are, but even in Australia, there's rich people. If you are rich, be a blessing to others. Be generous. Be rich in good deeds. And by doing that, you are honoring God, and in verse 19, in this way, you are actually laying up for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that it may take hold... No, it's not right. What I read? They're, they're, they're just the beginning of verse 19. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure. Lay up treasure for themselves. By honoring God, you're laying up a treasure in heaven. By honoring God with your life. By being generous. There's nothing wrong with being rich as long as you do it this way, where you and God are doing great, you're being transformed and you're influencing others. And if you're rich, you can be a huge influence. You can give to people in need. You can support work. You can be a blessing to this church so we can employ more Christies to do youth ministry in schools. If you are rich, you are blessed and you also have a responsibility to be a blessing. I'm reading this book... um, by Paul de Jong. Here it is here, and we're all going to read it in June. It's fabulous. I love it. June. It's coming. We're going to um, order some in the next couple of months. You can read it early. We're going to take the whole church through it over five weeks. It's excellent. And he talks about this. He says, when, when money comes into your hand, money is neither good or bad. But what we do, we put a spirit, I don't like that word, I, I, I like the word attitude. We put an attitude on that money. Either this is a blessing from God that I'm going to use for his purpose and his glory, 
or this is something that I've earned and I deserve and therefore I'm going to use it for myself and, and, and my own gratification. I'll say that again. When money comes into your hand, there's nothing wrong with this. When it comes into your hand, we put an attitude on it. Either this is from God and I'm going to honour God with this or I'm going to choose to, this is mine, I earn it and I'm, and I'm going to use it my way and for my purpose. And, and he says that, and when you read the book you'll see this, that if you actually say, God, this is your money that you've given to me and I'm going to honour you with it, this side with it, God actually blesses it and, and there's a greater abundance in your life. Like in every single area where you honour God, God puts a blessing. You honour God with your finances and God puts a blessing in that area too. It's very exciting. I've been leading stuff and just blessed by it. Honouring God isn't just putting the 10% aside, the 10th, the tithe, which we all should do, the tithe. That's biblical, I believe. It's not, it's not just the 10 it's, it's 100% of this money saying, God, this is a gift from you. How do you want me to use it? And it's to be generous. It's to pay the bills. It's to pay the home loan. It's to pay the, the rent. It's to look after your family. It's to do all those things with it because that is what God wants you to do with it. Where it goes wrong is when we go, okay, God, this is my money and I'm going to use it for my purpose. And I'm going to use it as, as a way of keeping score. And and the, and the way I'm going to keep score is I'm going to work out how much they got and I'm going to work out how much I've got and I'm going to keep score because I'm going to have more than them. Because if I have more than them, then I'm more successful than them. And if I have more than them, then I feel good about myself because my identity is wrapped up in what I have. And that is not good. Look at this. Same passage from 2 Timothy chapter 6, eight verses earlier, he writes this. Oh, I lied. I have to come back to that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then seven verses later, command those who are rich to be generous. There's nothing wrong with money, friends. It's the attitude that you put on it. If your attitude is to honour God, to go this side, and you use it to honour God, that's a good thing. But if it's about keeping score and making yourself feel good and getting more and getting more, to get it, to think that you're ahead of everyone else. Well, that is not what God wants. And the problem with that is this. That to get more and more and more, it takes energy. It takes attention. It takes drive. It takes dreaming. And rather than dreaming and drive and focus here, we put our focus here. And there's a problem. The uh, world's richest, richest person... I don't know how many... Sam, when did John D. Rockefeller live? How many years ago did he live? Over 100 years ago. When John D. Rockefeller lived over 100 years ago, he was the richest man on planet Earth. And he was a full-on Christian. And this is what he writes. God gave me my money. I believe the power to make money is a gift from God. 
It is to be developed and used to the best of our ability for the good of mankind. I love that. Why? For the good of mankind. Having been endowed with the gift I possess, it is my duty to make money and still more money and to use the money I make for the good of my fellow man according to the dictates of my conscience. The more money you have, friends, if it's with a good attitude, the bigger blessing you can be. The more money you have and you use it for God's purpose, the, bigger, biggest, the more blessing that you can be. The danger is that, when, is that when money becomes about getting ahead, about my identity, about success, about my pleasure and my purpose, and that's when it goes wrong. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus tells the story of the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. What are they? And he goes on and says, well, honor your father and mother and don't steal and don't murder, don't commit adultery. I've done all those since I was a boy, the man said. And then Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. Because Jesus knew the man's heart. He knew that his money was his God. Money was the most important thing. And because of that, he said, go and sell everything that you have and give it all away. Because riches was choking the man. When the man quoted the commandments, don't steal, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, he was quoting the last six. He ignored the first four. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And another one I can't remember. No idols. And for that man, his money was the idol. Riches can be a huge blessing but that can be a huge distraction. Choose to make riches a blessing. Last, last distraction. Distraction number three, and this is for a number of the young people in the room. Like you'll enjoy this picture, no doubt. Pleasure. Distraction number, th- distraction number three, pleasure. Friends, I love to swim. I love the beach. I love to swim for the waves. I love Chinese food. I love chocolate. I really love chocolate. My new, I used to like the uh, Cadbury Dairy Milk, but now I'm on the old gold rum and raisin. Old gold rum and raisin. Let's all applaud for that. Old gold. I've got old. And when you get old, you like that apparently. I used to see old men eat that chocolate when I was young and I thought it was disgusting. I've become the old man. Old gold rum and raisin. I love spending time with my wife. I do. I love playing cricket in the backyard with the kids. These are all the pleasures of my life. And is there anything wrong with those things? No, there's not. But when, but when the pleasure becomes the focus, just like the money becomes the focus or the worries of life become the focus, then it goes wrong. It's good to play cricket in the backyard, but if I'm doing that rather than writing my sermon for Sunday at the right time, or if I'm going to the beach and not spending my time with my wife like I need to, if I am spending all my time in leisure and not earning an income for my family, friends, that becomes a problem. If I'm doing pleasure and not coming back to that time where it's, where it's me and God, that's a problem. Jesus talks, not Jesus, in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about the Sabbath. Jesus talked about it a little bit. And the Sabbath is about taking, working for six and then resting for one. And that's what we see in creation, and that's something that God set up for us. And on that Sabbath day, that is a day of rest, and it is a day of pleasure and relaxation. And it's good to do the things that recharge you, 
that make you relax and smile, working in the, walking in the bushes, going to the beach, creating music, you guys. Whatever, whatever recharges you. Sunflowers, Jessica. Whatever recharges you, that's good things. But if you're doing that, when you should be doing other things, if you're focusing on pleasure most of the time, rather than developing your children and getting them ready for school and just letting them do their own thing because you're so focused on the computer game or whatever it is, that is a problem, friends. There's nothing wrong with pleasure as long as it doesn't distract from the things that God has for your life. If I ask you, if I asked you what are the pleasure things that are a distraction in your life, what would they be? So what did someone say? His wife is a distraction. Someone else, what are some of the distractions that we can get caught up in with pleasure? What are some of the distractions? Yell them out. Netflix. Netflix can be a huge distraction from time with God. Sorry? Facebook can be a distraction. Another distraction. Pokies can be a distraction. Another distraction. Sport. Gardening. Reading. Hanging out with friends, television. Is there anything wrong with those things on their own? No, there's not. But when they become the main thing, when they become more important than honoring Jesus with your life, then they become the problem. So friends, as we come to this message, which one of these, which one of these three distractions can you relate to the most? Let's get real this morning. All of them. Yeah, maybe all of them. Which one of these distractions do you think you can relate to the most? Which one of these gets in the way of this? The fruitful life that Jesus has for you. You know, I reckon that most of us start out the Christian journey well, like the third saw, most Christians. And we start out passionate about God and loving God and honoring God and wanting to serve Him with our whole life, but then lives, but then life happens. The weeds grow up and we don't even notice. Don't even notice. And we get choked. And rather than doing these things, we focus on these things. So which one can you relate to the most this morning, friends? Have a think about it. And, then, and if you have a distraction, let me now show you a way forward. One word, here it is. Repentance. Repentance is not just working out something is wrong. Repentance is working out something is wrong and then changing You go in this direction, I'm focused on the worries of my life. God, that's wrong. I need to put you as first. So repentance is, I recognize that's wrong. And now choose God to put you first in my life. I'm going to focus on my relationship with you, personal transformation and influence on others. That's repentance. What do you need to repent of this morning? And what does repentance look like? You've recognized the distraction, but what would it mean to live differently? 
How would you spend your time? What would you think about more? What would you dream about more? We're going to close the service with communion. Sorry, Miriam, I saw that hand. They were rhetorical questions because everyone was thinking. So I'll talk to you at the end. We have communion, friends. And as we close the service, communion is such a good thing because it reminds us of what Jesus has done, that when we recognize that we've messed up, we come to him, God, I've messed it up again. And out of his kindness, he says, yeah, you're forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me and for you. The cup reminds us of his blood. The biscuit reminds us of his body that was broken for each one of us. And friends, as you come for communion, what we've done is something a little bit different this morning. Ken brought in a couple of bins. Here's one bin. And there's the other bin. And we've also got a pen and a stack of paper. And as you come for communion this morning, I want you to write down the distraction. What is the thing that's getting in the way of of your relationship with God? What's the thing that's getting in the way of putting Jesus first? Write it down. And as a way of saying, God, this is changing today. I'm repenting of this today. I'm going to throw it away. Oops, I missed the bin. (laughs) I'm going to throw it away. And I'm going to start afresh. So it's going to take a bit longer than normal. That's okay. Come, the biscuit, the cup. Write down on a bit of paper, there's two sides. And let's take the next 10 minutes, friends, with you and Jesus. Return to him today. Come on, Ben. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I choose to live differently.